there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James, and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Have you ever wished you could be in two places at once? Two places at the same time. It's like you got to pick the kids up for school, but you've got to be here. And you, or you've got this appointment here, but there's this really great television program on. Or, or you've got this, this here and there's that there. And, of course, TiVo is taking care of most of that because most people really want to be in front of the television set. But they have work to do. So they have now they have TiVo or, or DVRs, you know, digital video recorders. And so they can actually be in two places at one time, sort of. But we are in two places at once. We just don't know it ordinarily. Ordinarily, we are unconscious of one of our places. Many times we can be unconscious of both places that we're in. So let me explain this because you have this quizzical look on your face that, if, that I was looking for. I was hoping that this would get you quizzical. We are in a physical place. You are sitting here in this chair right now in this room. So you are in a physical place. You are taking up physical space right now that another thing cannot fit into. So how we know that you are taking up physical space is we cannot put the piano in the same place that you're in. How we know that you take up physical space is that your head and the wall will not fit in the same space. So we're in a physical space, a physical place. But also what we don't ordinarily know is that we are in just as real a sense, in fact, in an even more real sense, we are in a psychological place an actual psychological place, just like the space that you are taking up right now in physical space. Just as sure as the physical body must be somewhere in physical space, we must be in a distinct psychological space at the same time. We use our five senses to observe where we and others are in visible space. This work is to train us to observe where we are in psychological space internally. We don't need any training to see where we are and where people are in physical space. Well, very little training. We have to learn how to drive. We have to learn how to throw a baseball or a football or a basketball and not hit somebody or how to swing a stick without poking somebody's eye out. So there are things we have to learn, but we learn those things early in life. We learn those things as we are growing up. This other space that we occupy at the very same time that is just as real or more real you don't learn about that in school. You don't learn about that at home. You don't learn about that in life. Life doesn't teach you that. Life teaches you how to navigate your physical space. But it doesn't teach you how to navigate your psychological space, your internal space, that's just as real that you are living in. And so what we have is dysfunctional human beings, human beings who are not whole, who are only part human beings because they are only existing, aware of, and navigating in their physical space with very few tools to navigate their internal space, which makes them dysfunctional and separate or disjointed. All esoteric teachings are about this psychological, spiritual space. And the only way that the, this psychological, spiritual space can be known is by developing inner sense, the same way that we have outer five senses, we need to develop inner sense so that we can sense where we are in psychological space in the same way, only different, that we distinguish where we are in physical space through the five senses. 
You can feel the environment, the temperature. You can feel whether it's moist or dry. You can feel whether it's hot or cold. There's a very small range of physical space in which we can actually survive. When you think about what's on either end of the spectrum, we only exist in a sliver of space. A certain temperature, it gets a couple of degrees too high or a couple of degrees too low, and we're dead. And we know that. We have senses that tell us that. We can smell whether there's danger or not, whether there's smoke, if the house is on fire, if it's an electrical fire, if it's a grease fire. We can tell if it's a wood fire by the sense of smell. We have learned that. We can hear things that determine what space we're in visibly. We can taste things that determine what space we're in visibly. If you find yourself in water and you taste the water, you know whether it's fresh water or salt water. You know whether it's clean water or dirty water. You can tell by the smell also. All of these things we use to see where we are visibly in this visible space that we call our world. People may spend their entire lives in a bad psychological space without ever realizing it. You remember the neighborhood in which you grew up? If you grew up in a neighborhood, I grew up in a neighborhood. And I remember other neighborhoods. There was the Polish neighborhood, there was the Jewish neighborhood, there was the Irish neighborhood, there was the black neighborhood, there was the Puerto Rican neighborhood, there was the neighborhood that I grew up in. It was a white neighborhood, but there were some Jewish people, there were some older people, there were some younger people, there were some drunken people, there were some... But so it was mixed, and of course all those things happen in the other neighborhoods as well. It's mixed too. But there were predominant feelings and things in those neighborhoods. So you, you knew that in the Polish neighborhood, there were going to be a lot of Polish people. In the Italian neighborhood, there were going to be a lot of Italian people. In the Jewish neighborhood, there would be a lot of Jewish people. And so there were certain things you could expect there. In a sense, we get in this psychological neighborhood, and we take it for granted. We don't even know that we're spending our lives there. We're there, but we don't know why we're there. And we keep wondering why all these horrible things happen in visible space, when much of the cause for what happens in visible space is the psychological space, the spiritual space, that people are habitually inhabiting their neighborhood, their spiritual, their psychological neighborhood. The work shows us how to change our internal neighborhood, how to move from one habitat to another. And it's interesting, as I was, as I was, as I was typing habitat, I looked at it and I thought, habit at, H-A-B-I-T. And then if you put a, a space between that, it's habit at. And where we are psychologically is at our habit. It's our habitat. Our internal habitat is really habit and that's what keeps us where we're at internally this work tells us how to change that it shows us how to change that not just tells us some folks habitually cultivate negative emotions which put them in bad neighborhoods internally now when I say habitually cultivate negative emotions I don't mean that people you know, get a Petri dish and go around collecting all the juicy negative emotions and consciously put them in the Petri dish and then cover it to see what will grow. But you don't have to do it consciously to have a Petri dish grow all kinds of negative mold. It's not necessary. Negative emotions, it's not necessary to be conscious. They thrive without consciousness. It is only the positive ideas in life that will thrive under, with consciousness. Consciousness brought to negative ideas will weaken them, hinder them. But consciousness brought to positive ideas will strengthen them and enlarge them. So if 
you don't want to get rid of negative emotions, don't be aware. Don't focus attention. Don't have positive ideas. Don't focus on positive ideas. Don't try to cultivate them. Just allow yourself to float downstream and don't worry about a thing. And you'll never lose your negative emotions. You'll never get out of your bad neighborhood. Our spirits dwell in psychological space as vast as the space of our outer universe. This, right now, for most of us, will be theory. But you can take it in scale, and you can see that we are not aware of our whole universe. We are also not aware of what's going on inside of us. We are aware, really, of very little invisible space. And that's also true of our psychological space. We are aware of just as little and perhaps even less. We can live in physical comfort while inhabiting a very unpleasant psychological neighborhood. This is why rich people are unhappy, do drugs, get drunk, commit suicide, always have to have something new, always have to go out shopping, because they're inhabiting a great neighborhood in physical space, but their psychological neighborhood is mean and poor. It's a slum, it's a ghetto. And so this incongruency, this disharmony between the inner and the outer causes incredible problems, incredible stresses and strains on people. If we found ourselves in a visible space as nasty as some of our internal neighborhoods, we'd leave post-haste and head for a shower. We'd just want to cleanse ourselves. We'd want to de-lice and de-flee ourselves. We want to debug ourselves. There are neighborhoods that you go to where you would need to be deloused after visiting the neighborhood. In fact, in uh, that book, Shogun, Blackthorn's crew, his crew from his boat, were in this neighborhood, and he went to visit them in their house. And when he left, he had to take his kimono off and get a new one because he was covered with fleas from being in, being in the house with them. And they were just living with them. That was their neighborhood. But he had been living in another neighborhood where there weren't any fleas. It was clean. And so he got rid of his kimono and he just went and got a new one. Internal considering, blaming, making accounts against others, violence, feeling upset at every event that comes along in life, and being negative is inhabiting a bad place internally. Now, you don't have to have all of these happening at once to be in a bad neighborhood. In a bad neighborhood, good things can happen. That's why people stay in bad neighborhoods. They have their friends there. They have people who they, they, they commiserate with them, the people who will listen to them, people who will share with them, people you can borrow a cup of sugar from and sweeten your bad neighborhood for the day, you know, to make a cake or to do whatever you do. And so we find all kinds of reasons to stay in our bad neighborhoods. So we don't have to have all of those internal considering, blaming, making accounts against others, violence, feeling upset at every life event, being negative. We don't have to have them all at once. It can be any one or two in combination. It's an indicator of the neighborhood in which you live, your neighborhood internally. How do we move out of our neighborhood? On the way here, I noticed on Mar Vista, on my street, there's a, on the street I live on, it's not my street actually, but it's the street I live on, there's a Mayflower van. So I thought, oh, somebody's moving. Obviously, we need some kind of Mayflower van internally. We have to have some way to get moved out of our neighborhood to another neighborhood. But I don't think we really need a van. We might just need a cup. Because what we might want to take with us and what we might want to leave behind 
could vary greatly. If you want to take everything in, in, the, in your bad neighborhood with you, you know, then you're going to be like the Beverly Hillbillies who moved from here to Beverly Hills. Where's Jethro? He's out in the cement pond, which was, of course, the swimming pool. You know, you might want to leave some of that behind. You might want to leave some of your negativity behind if you're moving to another neighborhood. Because the truth is, is you can't move into another neighborhood with that stuff. First, we must begin by observing that it is so and acknowledging it. Observing that what is so. Observing that I am internally considering. Observing that I am blaming. Observing that I am making accounts against others. Observing that I am violent. Observing that I feel upset at every event, life event that comes along that I don't like, that I feel out of harmony with. Observing that I'm in a negative space. Just by observing it and acknowledging it. This is how it starts. Just by observing it and acknowledging it. This is how we move. We don't move by calling the van. We don't move by packing. We don't move by picking things up and, and going here or there. We don't move by going and looking for a place. How we move is by observing where we are and acknowledging it. But this is very, very difficult because when we observe where we are, we judge it. When we observe where we are, we feel something about it. What esoteric teachings say is just observe it and acknowledge it. That's all. Nothing more. But we always add to that, which creates problems. Afterwards, we continue to work on ourselves by not identifying with our states. So first we observe and acknowledge. But then we continue by not identifying. So we continually observe, we continually acknowledge, and we continually don't identify. So the Greek New Testament would say it this way. And he kept on continually observing, and he kept on continually acknowledging, and he kept on con continually not acknowledging. Because the Greek New Testament is in present tense. The whole thing is in, in, it was this unending present tense. There was no future end to it. He kept continually doing this. They kept continually doing that. And this is what this work is about. We must continually observe. We must continually acknowledge. And we must continually not identify. We must continually do these things all the time, or as often as we can. It's interesting to me, mean. The definition for mean is unwilling to give or share things, not generous, unkind, spiteful, vicious, aggressive in behavior. It's also, mean is also poor in quality and appearance, shabby. Her home was mean and small. Our neighborhood is mean. It's shabby internally. It doesn't matter where you live. You can be living in Beverly Hills, or you can be living in Bel Air, or you can be living in uh, Monte Carlo, or you could be living wherever. Internally, where you live will determine how you take where you live externally. So you could live in a mean hovel. You could live in a refrigerator box externally, but internally live in the Taj Mahal and enjoy your refrigerator box. Or you could live in the Taj Mahal and live in a refrigerator box internally and take for granted the Taj Mahal and it would be a mean, shabby place for you. If we had mean, inflexible thoughts and suddenly found ourselves in a nasty neighborhood, we'd get a shock, wouldn't we? If all of a sudden our external condition reflected exactly what our internal condition was, can you imagine the shock of that? For instance, you're burning up with anger. Can you imagine if the temperature outside suddenly rose to the peak of your anger? 
and you began to boil in your own environment? That would be a shock. In psychological space, it happens always and instantly. The minute that you start having mean thoughts, the minute that you start internally considering, in that very instant, right in that instant, you move to that neighborhood. There is no way to avoid it. You can't fake it inside. You can fake it outside, but you can't fake it inside. We live in what is invisible to others. We're all invisible and nearly unknown to one another. But because we don't take each other as we actually are, but as we appear to be, we think that we can see other people because we can see where they're sitting in, psych in external space, invisible space. We can see where someone is, so we think we know them. But the truth is, we don't know them. And it would behoove you to remember that in your dealings with one another. You may have a lot to say about the people in this room. And as we saw this morning in our little exercise, there were people who had a lot to say about the other people in the room. And everything they had to say, some of it might have been true. But the truth is, is we are invisible to one another. And so what we're doing is we're playing pin the tail on the donkey. And the real donkey in this is the one that's blindfolded. And every time we pin the tail on the donkey, it hurts, and we strike out at somebody else because we don't know that we pinned the tail on our own self because we were blindfolded. Through our physical bodies, we try to crudely signal to others, like using signal flags or smoke signals. So we try to communicate, but we're doing it through our physical bodies, and it's this, this crude... You ever see these signal flags on boats, ships? And you look at them, and, and if you, unless you can read them, it doesn't make any sense to you at all. Or, you know, smoke signals. The Indians use smoke signals or fires and like that. Well, unless you knew the code, it doesn't make any sense. Or if you, if you hear Morse code, and if you don't know Morse code, it doesn't make any sense. It's crude for people who don't understand what it is, who don't speak the language. We don't live in external world revealed through the five senses, but we live in the invisible psychological world. This is the most real world, but we don't live in that world. We think we live in this outer world, but the truth is the reality of our being is really this spiritual world, this psychological world that we inhabit. When people share a neighborhood, they better understand the gang signs of the hood. People in the valley all know it, and like, well, like, and he's all, and I'm all, and we're all, and they're like, and it's like, oh, so people in the valley all understand that, or many of them in the neighborhoods understand that. But people in a neighborhood in Paris, would, that wouldn't make any sense to them. People, when they share a neighborhood, they share an understanding. In this internal spiritual world, it's possible to receive help in certain neighborhoods. So inside, it's possible for us to receive help, but only in certain neighborhoods. In some neighborhoods, the police won't even go. Do you know this is true? Some neighborhoods, the police won't even go, and if they do, they go in two cars or three cars. They have to have lots of backup. Now, other neighborhoods, you can get help. You can call 911, and they're there, like, instantly. You see that better neighborhoods get better help? Poorer neighborhoods get worse help? Okay, you can get in better neighborhoods where you can get better help, faster help, better quality help. Each esoteric teaching leads to an internal psychological destination if it's valued and followed. So Christianity leads to a certain psychological destination. The reason it does is because others labored, others reached it, and others left help along the way. 
Jesus called himself the way. Maurice Nicole said, only when followed to the end can a person be transformed into a Christian. Yet people begin by imagining they are Christians. Well, you see, the reason people don't like Christians is because they're looking at Christians in the visible world, in visible space. There's not much to like about Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, or, well, maybe Buddhists a little less because they don't do as much warfare as the rest of us do, meaning the other religions. But if you look at any of them in, in visible space, it's not a very pretty picture. And the reason is because people in visible space can pretend, can say that they're something. They can be in a certain, they can be under a certain banner and say, well, this is what I am. But inside, they're not that, they don't live there at all. And so when people see this incongruency, they then start to judge them. And they start to judge them because they're in a bad neighborhood themselves. But they don't know that. They think they're in the neighborhood under the banner that they're living under. When that's not their neighborhood at all. Their real neighborhood is their internal neighborhood, their psychological neighborhood, their spiritual space that they inhabit. Without a sense of scale and positive ideas, we can't reach the promised land within. Every esoteric teaching has a promised land. There's a promised land. And we can't reach it. We will never get there without a sense of scale and positive ideas that come with a sense of scale. What the work calls centers and parts of centers are really doors opening inwardly to different neighborhoods in our psychological country. This whole idea of centers and parts of centers, it's so mind-boggling sometimes. Well, this, that was the mechanical part, the emotional part of the, the intellectual center. Well, that was the moving part of the intellectual part of the emotional part of the blah, 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 blah. It's like, so what, what center are you in? And people are trying to figure all this out. And it's like, no wonder the fourth way is ground to a halt in the world. It's ground to a halt because people are not able to make sense of it in a real way, in their real lives in 2008. This is 2008. It's time for people to start making sense of this. It's time for people to find how to get the rubber and the road together. It's time. Because we don't have much time left the way the world is going. If we continue the way the world is going in the outer visible world, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. So it's time. Some higher and some lower neighborhoods exist in our psychological country. Needless to say, the little negative eyes, the self-emotions, self-love, self-interest, self-adulation, self-admiration, live in shabby valleys internally. All the little eyes live in little run-down slums, in low places, in the valleys. The higher ground? Well, that's different. Bad states. Remember, states are places. A state. Well, what state are you in? It's a place. Well, you're in California right now, but you're also in a place internally, in a neighborhood internally. So bad states put us in bad psychological neighborhoods. The truth about us is we're doomed to the ghetto until we begin to feel responsible to ourselves for our states and stop saying we're secretly thinking it's someone else's fault. I think one of the things we've learned in our exercises this morning was that 
we all are pointing the finger at someone else, saying, well, it's someone else's fault. Why is this not working? It's someone else's fault. But I didn't hear very many people say, well, it's my fault. Everybody had something to say about those people. These people are okay and these people are not okay. These people are doing well and these people are not doing well. But I didn't hear anybody or hardly anybody say, well, it's my fault. It's the whole thing. The whole thing, this whole thing, it's my fault. So now you're hearing it. This whole thing, how it's all working, it's my fault. Wherever you are, work on yourself. All that means is wherever you are, observe yourself. How do you observe yourself? By simply observing it and acknowledging that it is so and then not identifying with it. That's the follow-up. Continue to not identify with it. It's easy to observe it, acknowledge it, and then identify with it. That's the easiest thing in the world. We need to observe it considering what the work tells us to observe. The work tells us to observe how proud we are. The work tells us to observe how we internally consider. The work tells us to observe how we blame. The work tells us to observe those things. So do what the work tells you to do, meaning esoteric teachings. Use the material that you've collected through non-identified observation of your internal neighborhoods. Something makes us feel negative. Let's say something makes you feel negative. You've now got a place to work. Whatever it is that makes you feel negative, now you have a place to work. This is the exact place that you have to work. What is a place? It's a state. It's a state, an internal state. So this is the exact place that you have to work. You feel negative? That's the place you have to work. Not on the outside, not in the visible world. Well, that person made me feel negative. No, go to the place that made you feel negative. It's inside you. Begin observing it and stop being it. There's nothing to do about stopping being it. As you begin to observe it, you are it less. That's how it works. Observing and acknowledging is the Mayflower moving van of our internal world. You just make the phone call and they come and do all the rest. You just observe and acknowledge and not identify. And the Mayflower moving van, the light, does all the rest. It begins to cleanse, purify. Look at thoughts, feelings, posture, remembering why we're doing it, and then we'll gradually be lifted into a better neighborhood. You'll just move up the hill. And as you move up the hill, all the things that are down in the valley, you'll leave behind. That's how it works. It's as simple as looking at your thoughts, your feelings, and your posture, remembering why you're doing it, and then you're gradually moved. Stop willing misery. Remember last week I said to will is to love? If we love our negative emotions, we're willing misery. And we love our negative emotions, so we're willing misery. If we love hanging on to an old account, we're willing misery. If we love judging someone, we're willing misery. We are keeping ourselves in that neighborhood, that miserable, slummy, nasty, shabby, mean, dark neighborhood. To be negative and to hate is easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. The pain factory of life requires it of us. It demands it of us. You have no choice about that. Esoteric work gives us the right not to be negative. And the reason it gives us the right is because others have paid the price. Somebody went before us and paid the price. But the door is still barred to us unless we begin within.
Look and see where you are now in inner space. This is self-study. This is practical work. This is the only thing of all of this teaching that means anything. All the rest points to this. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.